Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Rational Self-Interest Podcast, where people can freely make decisions about their own lives without those meddling bureaucrats in Washington trying to hold them down. The looters and the moochers, folks. The looters and <laughs> the moochers. My name's Aaron. This is Sean. Hello. And uh, we are reviewing today on the podcast. A masterwork. An epic film. Of... Tour de force. <laughs> what did I tell you after I watched this movie? Tour quote de force. Me, quote yeah. me exactly. Tour de force. Yeah. <laughs> Our uncensored first response is to watching the 2011 adaptation of the first third of the book Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. When you're turning a beloved libertarian novel into a movie, and especially one that's this long, it's a very, very long book, one of the longest fiction books published, and one that's had huge cultural resonance in the libertarian community. Many credit it with being the foundation of their philosophy of how they live their lives in the world. When you're making a movie based on something that big, yeah, you got to split it up. So this is only part of the story of our heroic business people standing up against big government interventions. I did find it entertaining for a variety of reasons, one of which is these heavy-handed objectivist messages that get crammed in as best they can yeah. um, every now and then. Objectivism, of course, being the philosophy of the philosopher Ayn Rand that holds that selfishness is a virtue and altruism is bad, among other things. Mm -hmm. The major difference between the book and this is that, like, in this movie, you have characters saying things like, why do people have these stupid altruistic urges? Uh, it doesn't help anyone. And uh, in the book, you'd get, like, a paragraph's long justification for that. Like, why is altruism bad? There'd be, like, a whole dialogue about it. But in the movie, these things just get, like, kind of thrown out there without a lot of explanation. So I feel like it has a very different impact than the novel, even though things are happening pretty much beat for beat the exact same way. Like you don't get all that extra justification. So it feels more cartoony. It feels more like goofy. This is a universe where, you know, one of our protagonists, Reardon, the steel manufacturer, his whole family calls him selfish because he got his wife a present that they didn't like. And then immediately one of his family members is like, by the way, can you wire me some money for charity? There's a moment where he's like, you don't even care about the underprivileged. And he's like, you're right, I don't. What are you doing with yourself these days? I'm working for Friends of Global Awareness. I know them. You really don't care about helping the underprivileged, do you? No, Philip, I don't. But it'll make you happy. Well, it's not for me, Hank. It's for the benefit of the less privileged. <laughs> Reardon, right. Reardon doesn't care about the underprivileged. Just an important character beat. There's something kind of psychedelic about the movie in the sense that like, the heroes keep on saying these like things that a villain would say in any normal movie. <laughs> right. But it's played <laughs> off as like this kind of yeah heroic moment of truth. Uh, let's put on a little bit of jazz and read some of the reviews that Atlas Shrugged Part 1 got in the papers. Yeah, it's always good to see what other people are saying. Let's see here. What's in the Toronto Star? A talky bore that spends too much time in wood-paneled offices and at chatter-heavy parties that were clearly shot on the cheap. Uh, it's Linda Barnard said that. It's fair. Fair review. Okay, let's check out the New Yorker here. This comically tasteless and flavorless adaptation of Ayn Rand's bombastic magnum opus delivers her simplistic nostrums with smug self-satisfaction. Ooh, shots fired. That's, that's Richard Brody. When he's right, he's right. 
Scientists at the Institute for Taxation are already working on a highly experimental program to tax the taxes on people's taxes. I look forward to hearing more about that soon. In an effort to increase equality, our big government has ruled that all companies must produce the same thing, completely stopping production on all other things. Discussions as to which single thing companies will produce are now underway, with nutritional gruel, pup tents, and tramp coat and bindle as the top three contenders. In other news, freedom has been made illegal with all citizens being asked to subordinate themselves to the slavery of public opinion. Public opinion polling shows that subordination to public opinion is good, binding everyone who is enslaved to public opinion to supporting public opinion. You all set, sugar? Can I give you some extra coffee? Nah, no more coffee. Just let me ask you this. I've been sitting here thinking. If sacrificing one's own mind at the altar of others is the ultimate good, why do we not just drill a hole in our own brains and be the ultimate sacrifice? How high is the sky? Who is Geet Finkus? Who knows? Where do you come up with this stuff? You're funny, sugar. Okay, I'll be seeing you around. I'll just step out into the rain in a trench coat, dispassionately light a cigarette. Oh, it's a mysterious stranger. Are you Hamesley Amberley? Child fentanyl dealer? Yes, and who are you? One of those selfless activists come to preach at me about self-sacrifice? No, just the opposite. What I offer is simply a society where the virtue of achievement and greatness is unleashed. Instead of being enslaved by the grabbing moochers and selfless Washington fat cats to create a class of men with godlike powers, total domain over nature and humanity for 10,000 years. Are you interested? So you're saying I wouldn't be enslaved to public opinion? Huh. Would I still be able to own literal slaves? Let's just say there wouldn't be any government agents trying to stop you and someone else from creating a mutually beneficial agreement for a slave-type relationship. A contract is a beautiful thing. My independent reason has judged something, and I must be honest about it. I believe you can achieve what you say you can achieve. I'm in. Let's do it. Hainsley Adderley, oil baron slash sex trafficker slash child fentanyl dealer, disappeared. May of 2010. I am primarily the creator of a new code of morality, which can be demonstrated to be true and necessary. My morality is based on man's life as a standard of value, that his highest moral purpose is the achievement of his own happiness, that each man must follow his own rational self-interest. I'm challenging the moral code of altruism, the precept that man's moral duty is to live for others, that man must sacrifice himself to others, which is the present-day morality. What do you Since mean by I... sacrifice himself for others? This Now no, we're no. getting to the point. And now what is self-sacrifice? Yes, you say that you do not like the altruism by which we live. You, you like a certain kind of Ayn Randist selfishness. I... Uh, would say that I don't like is to weak a word. I consider it evil. There is no way in which you could justify it. Nobody has ever given a reason why men should be their brother's keepers, and you've had every example 
And you see the examples around you of men perishing by the attempt to be their brother's keepers. So why should we be our, our brother's keeper? Let's, let's think this through. I mean, the metaphorical brother, you know, the universal brother. What is the benefit towards having social norms where we take care of each other? Yeah, so when I think about this, I like to imagine, okay, brother's keeper. Let's You're imagine, the first person to give an answer on this, by the way. Right, the, yeah, everyone else has failed to. Imagine a house full of brothers. If none of the brothers keep one another, then that means that each brother must every keep brother themselves. For, yeah, every, every brother, brother for himself. Uh, they have to cook their own food, chop their own wood, bring joy to themselves, each a self-contained island. But if each brother keeps one another, then... You can form a complementary threaded whole of different capacities and abilities working together in concert, almost like a harmony, like through the differences, it can be generative it can be more than the sum of its parts and it can provide benefit for everyone that same logic applies on a societal level that we can have a complex threaded mutually supporting system of expertise and capacity and participation that creates something that's better for everyone so she goes down to his place she's looking for him goes out back sees this on fire and she just like screams to the sky like darth vader when his wife dies <laughs> kind of thing So yeah, it's like a weird ending. The emotional beat there doesn't really work. In terms of like film structure, it doesn't have like a great... It doesn't have a beginning, middle, and end like yeah. three-act structure like typical. It doesn't have the inciting incident you'd want. It doesn't have the twist you'd want, the low point, the climax, and all that kind of stuff. It's really kind of all over the place. And that is all the time we have for this teaser for our podcast series on the Atlas Shrugged film series based on the novel Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. If you want to hear us going over the whole film, talking through all the plot, the characters, what worked, what didn't, how feasible is it to bend reality into some distorted form that proves libertarian ideals true? Are they successful at doing that? If you want to know the answer to that, head over to our Patreon patreon.com slash seriously wrong we'll be putting out this entire series there for our patrons six dollars a month or more thank you so much for listening thank you to everybody who's already donating we will see you again soon with the answer to the burning question i'm sure is on all of your minds who is geet finkus